0: You're listening to episode 46 of season 13 of the New World Order for day 314 of 2019. 314, of course, is the first three digits of the famous number pi, and that bears absolutely no significance whatsoever on this episode. However, I am going to move that since we are all... I'm assuming we're all agreed that Julian calendar is is superior to Gregorian, so I think that we should move Pi Day to today, day 314 of the year, rather than to how we do it in the Gregorian calendar being arbitrary third month, arbitrary 14th day of arbitrary third, third month. So that's just a proposal I'm putting out there, request for comments, we don't have to do it right away, but it's something we should probably move towards uh, for next year. Okay, in this episode, we're going to talk about Util Linux. That is the Util Linux package, which we've been covering for the past... Oh my gosh, it must have been... must be months by now. We're getting towards the end. We're in the S section now. And, uh, the, well, I should say the S section of user bin. And, of course, that that comes after a long list of user bin a long list of s bin and then a long list of bin before that but we are getting there we're getting very very close so the first one that i want to talk about uh, in alphabetical order is script script is a command to record in a fashion your 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 terminal session so if you type in script and then some name of an output file so i'm going to put output.session it sort of secretly launches a subshell you don't really even realize you're in a subshell but it, it launches it and it tells you script has been started file is output.session now if i just do an ls return i get a list of all my current of all the current directories in in my cur- all the current Uh, files in my current directory, and then I'm going to hit Control d for delta. That puts an end to the script recording session. What happened? Well, if I do a cat output.session, it is display... Actually, I'm going to do a clear screen first, because it it can kind of trick you. If you have a, a very messy terminal session, uh, Putting, doing the output of the of the script file might not stand out to you. So cat output.session with a clear terminal, and it, it, at the top of the screen it says script started on uh, today, and then bash, ls, and then the contents of my current directory, and then exit, script done at the, the current timestamp, which was mere, mere moments ago. So it, it just it outputs exactly what I saw in my terminal, when I executed, or d- during the time that the script was recording. Now, that's kind of handy, I guess, if if you are... if you're particularly conscious that what you are doing right now needs to be recorded for posterity, whether that posterity is for yourself, or for a tutorial that you're writing for someone else, or, or whatever it might be, that does seem like a pretty useful little command. So, for instance, if you are... I mean... If, you, if you're just a person at home, and re, you're recording a script on your computer, then I can imagine it would not be of much use to someone else across the world, because it's, it's entirely dependent upon your environment. That said, if you, if you set up an environment and told people, okay, this is what we're doing, we're making a, an example folder, and in the example folder we're going to touch this file, and then in that file we're going to put this configuration and so on, then, then that could be useful. So it's a controlled environment that people can replicate on their own machine, for instance. Or if you are a systems administrator and you're training uh, an intern or someone who's coming into the department and you want to show them how you guys do something specific at this organization, whatever, uh, then it, I, I can imagine that this would be pretty useful. It, it is basically a screenshot, though, right? It, it's just, it is, it's what you've done in a, a terminal session a, all in one file. And, and while that is useful and, and it could be handy to follow along, it, it's, it's not really all that different than selecting everything in your, in your terminal history and copying it and pasting it somewhere. Except that, of course, most terminals have a scroll back limit. So, script will ignore that scroll back you know it it doesn't have to deal with a scroll back because it starts recording from the time you start the script until the time that you hit control d so there is there's the benefit of of just being able to to record long sessions with lots of lines involved which which could be a problem if your scroll back is let's say a thousand lines lines, which I think is fairly fairly typical. I mean, you may have increased it to 5,000 lines, who knows, but if you're running a couple of commands that have very long outputs, you could exhaust that that limit. Now, the, um, and, and the scroll back, I should say, the scroll back function of a terminal is when you take that little um, scroll bar and you scroll up, that, that's scrolling back, and you will notice that that has a limit to it. Some Some have a very long limit, some don't. It really kind of depends on what your settings are. So the other interesting feature of script is that you can record the exact timing of how you've done something. Now I don't exactly know the purpose of this, but it's kind of a little built-in screencast feature of your terminal, at least to another terminal. So here's, here's what you can do. You can do script and then dash dash timing equals I'll do um, t dot time I don't know uh, and then I'll I'll name the, the the file that we're recording to as um, a, I guess output dot session again it says script is started file is output.session, so I'll do an ls then maybe I'll do a cd into to doc directory of the source code thing I'll do an ls again then I'll wait a couple of moments and then I'll cd back out of it and then I'll hit control d so I've recorded a session and I've put I, I've recorded timing output to a file called called t.time so now if I do script replay dash t for timing, or dash, dash, timing. And then I'll give it t.time as my timing file. And then I'll put output.session as my, sort of, my uh, input file, as it were. Actually, I'm going to clear my screen again, clear my terminal. Okay, it's clear now, so I'll hit return. And at first it looks l- like nothing's happening. It just gives me a prompt. And suddenly it starts typing, an ls. And then a cd into doc. Return, and then ls again, and then I think I waited a little while, and then cd space dot dot, and then the the script is done. And you can tell that the script is done because there's a blank line before your next prompt. But it it plays back in your terminal as if though, as if though you were doing it. Like if someone was looking over your shoulder and not looking at your hands, they would think that you were doing those actions. Now, understand. It is not playing back the commands. It is simply playing back the session for you. It, in, a, in other words, I could change directory here, and then point, point the, the timing information to my old directory, and it will act as if though it, w- it will lie to you. In other words, it'll say ls, and then the output of ls will be an ls of that of that old directory that I was sitting in at the time of the script. So this is it's completely, it, it is not playing back like a shell script or your, it's not com- playing back your commands based on, and, and actually executing those things. It is simply outputting the contents of, of whatever file you've put your script recording into. In my case it's output.session, but by default it's typesetting. Uh, it's just playing that back line by line or rather chunk by chunk in the timing increment that you that that it took you to do in in real life. And if you look at I'm gonna go back into the original directory, so I don't have to keep giving full paths. But if you look at the timing file, it's just a, it's it's timestamps that are taken the the moment that you press a key. So it it's just it's recording the rhythm of what you're doing, and and that's it. There are some fun things that you can do with with script replay. You can, for instance, speed up the replay, displaying uh, some number. Uh, of, of s- some divisor. So if you do, for instance, uh, script replay dash 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 uh, divisor, for instance, 2, then we should be able to sp- to to double the speed. And we could do divisor dash 3 to triple the speed and so on, you get the idea. An interesting one, uh, in addition to this, to, to just kind of a straight divisor for the timing is the max delay number, which sets a maximum delay between transcript updates, which means that you could have done a bunch of commands at some, some, you know, sort of all at once, and then you could have paused for, let's say, 10 seconds. Well, 10 seconds in screen time is really, really long. It's like an eternity. So you could say, well, max delay of 2 seconds, and then Anything over 2, you're setting a threshold. Anything over 2, anything longer than 2 seconds, is overridden and reduced to 2. So that would that would speed up the transcript playback in terms of spacing, but not in terms of, of pacing. Oh, I like that, spacing instead of pacing. Um, okay, so that's script and script replay. I think that knocked out... I think that knocked out two of them. Yeah, it did. I just, I just glided straight from one to the other. Okay, so the next one is SetArch. arch. And set arch is a little bit of a weird This is a weird one for me. Uh, it it specifically says so man set arch. It says it specifically says that it it changes the reported architecture in a new program environment and set personality flags. I don't know what personality flags mean. I I dislike terms that imply sort of emotion. Or feeling, I'll just end the sentence there. No, I won't. Um, in computers, because it just doesn't make any sense. There's no such thing as a personality in a in an architecture. But anyway, um, so what it, it what it says it does is it it currently only affects the output of uname -m. So if I do a setarch 32 bit dash dash 3gb, and then do a uname dash m, oh forgot to set arch, Uh, so set arch i686, and then dash dash 32 bit, dash dash 3gb, and then uname dash m, all as one command, then I I get a uname dash m value returned to me of i686 which, if I actually do a uname-m, without any of that preamble, I, I, I get returned what I'm actually running, which is x86 underscore 64. Alright, so that's kind of cool. You'd, maybe you might think that's kind of cool. But uh, if I do a, for instance, setarch ppc64 uname-m, it tells me it's an unrecognized architecture. Okay, fair enough. So, we, we've got success with this set arch i686-dash-32bit-dash-3gb-uname-m, getting some interesting output there. So now if I go to, for instance, a folder of, of source of source code, I'll just go to this GNU Hello application. I'm going to do a make clean. And then I'm going to do a set arch i686 dash 32 bit dash dash 3GB. So the 32 bit is telling it, as you can probably imagine, to um, treat or, or to report the the specs of the of of the the running kernel as 32 bits and the dash dash 3GB specifies that processes should use a maximum of 3 gigabytes. There's a dash dash 4GB, but it's ignored, uh, but it's still there for um, backward compatibility. Yeah, dash dash 32-bit, or just dash capital B, turns on adder underscore limit underscore 32-bit. Okay, so if we do that, and then we do a dot slash configure... And we wait for hello to configure. You might think that it's configuring its environment based on the value of setArch and the constraints that setArch has just has just supposedly imposed on the system. And then if I do a, set, a same thing, set... Well, so first of all, in my output of the configure, it clearly says checking if the linker user x... 86 underscore 64 dash slackware dash Linux bin LD is GNU LD yes okay great um, it's obviously seeing the 64 bittedness of my system uh, at least in some way so then I'm going to do set arch I 686 dash dash 32 bit dash dash 3 GB and then I'm going to do a make and it does that and then if I do a file of dot slash source slash hello that's the thing that I just built it, it returns, just as I would expect, um, ELF 64-bit LSB executable x86-64. Uh, the interpreter is listed as slash lib64ld-linux-x86-64. underscore Now, if I do uh, the thing that I would normally do when compiling 32-bit, and go to my, uh, or rather, source, slash etsy slash profile dot d 32 uh, dev dot sh now that's that's not something that everyone will necessarily find in their uh, slash etsy slash profile d it is a it is a, a profile created by um... in part by alien bob and i think some guy named fred hi fred um, I don't actually know Fred. I'm just greeting him in case he's by chance listening to this episode. Um it's a it's a profile which sets environment variables to to make Slackware 64 use 32-bit compatible applications and, and settings. And there's a bunch in there and it's a, it's a it's a really good script to look at actually just to kind of see well okay what is Oh, Frederick. Frederick is the guy. Um, in fact, it looks like he may have... It looks like he's the originator of this, Frederick uh, Emmont. And he is the um, one of the guys, or maybe the guy, who was doing the slam, slam 64, I think is what it was called, back before there was a Slackware 64 project. So this is the 32-bit... Um, Compatibility script for that, and Alien Bob modified it in 2009, it looks like, and has been using it for his multi-lib build. So it's uh, this is something that enables multi-multi arch on Slackware. It's an optional thing that you can get from Alien Bob. I'll put a show in the link. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, so now that I've sourced that. If I do... well, first I'd better do a make clean, or else this will um, fail miserably. And then just do a dot .slash configure, and once that's finished... Well, actually, let's look at the output here. So it's configuring, it's configuring, it's configuring. Let's see if I can just catch that LD. You know what would be handy is an application to record the output of my terminal. That way I could review it later. Um... Okay, so it still actually sees the linker as the one in this user x86-64. That's interesting to note. Okay, so then I'm going to do a make, and that doesn't take long, and then I'll do a file on source, hello, and sure enough, it says ELF 32-bit LSB executable, uh, dynamically linked, blah, blah, blah. So that's, that's the way that I would normally compile a 32-bit application on Slackware, and it is... Sort of, as far as I know, kind of the way that you're you have to do it elsewhere. So it seems that setarch, as as it states pretty early on in its man page, to be fair, setarch currently only affects the output of uname.m m uh, d- dash m. Um, supposedly, there are some applications out there that, in order to find out constraints of how it how they are going to run essentially just kind of ask you name what are my constraints and set arch apparently will affect those applications what those applications are i'm not too sure why you would need that i'm not too sure because presumably the application would have been Compiled as a 32-bit application, and so it should just be running on your 64-bit uh, CPU. So I'm not too sure. I've seen some things online as I was searching around to try to determine exactly what set arch actually affects, um, but I I, I I don't have anything to test it against. I don't have any way of sort of seeing the the practical use case of this so that I can report on it. All I have is is a successful spoof of a uname dash M, and that's it. So that that one's a little bit of an interesting case. I don't know I don't know what the intended use for that one is. Uh, I would love to hear from you, dear listener, if you actually have uh, a non found this on the internet report on on SetArch. I mean cuz I can I can I can look on the internet and do a search for you know what is set arch used for and I can report on 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 the couple of forum posts that I see here's one on Ubuntu forum and it reports that that there's some kind of bug Oh, it's infamous. It's not just some kind. It's an infamous Diablo three problem. And I don't know. Since that's that's really the only. I mean, with with five minutes of poking around, and it's been more than five minutes probably. But that's the only report of of set arches use in real life that I could find. So maybe I don't know. Maybe it was literally developed for that. I've, crazier things have happened. But whether or not there are other use cases for it. I just don't know. I don't know what those would be. Certainly, it's not doing anything that I can see when compiling. So, I don't know if... Um, you know, maybe it would be different. Maybe there, Maybe if I used SetArch in my 32-bit environment, maybe that would have an effect on how hello GNU Hello ran, or, or got compiled, at least. That, that very well could be. And I guess I could really dig in and, and find um certainly about like the adder limit 3 gb that that would be recorded somewhere so i could i could do that but honestly i'm not going to because um it's just not i i don't think it's that vital and 32 bit is you know it's kind of on the way out if we're honest so i'm not going to i'm not going to go too deep into that because there's coffee to be had so why don't you go get yourself a cup i'll go get myself a cup We'll meet back here for more Util Linux. <music> Hey everybody, this is 2 and I'm here to give you an advertisement. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, wouldn't that be crazy if I started doing advertisements on this show? Just started, I don't know, hawking other people's wares for money. That would be a different show. No, actually, I just forgot that I was coming back from a coffee break, and I thought I was starting the show. So I was, hey, everybody, this is 2 and then I re- remembered mid-sentence. We've already been doing a show for, like, 20 minutes. Um, this is just the coffee break. But, I mean, that gives you evidence that I did actually go get coffee. These coffee breaks are... They're, they're not a drill. This is real life. We go get coffee during these breaks, and I do hope that you do. Because if you don't, um, then you don't have coffee right now. So, let's see, the next one in util-linux, by my reckoning, is set-sid. I'm gonna just verify to make sure I haven't forgot something else. So, actually, we're gonna we are gonna get through all the s's uh, today in user bin for util-linux. That's kind of exciting. So Setsid um, creates a new a new session ID, is, I think is what the SID stands for. Let me just check that out. Man, Setsid, run a program in a new session. Yeah, it doesn't really actually say explicitly that SID means session ID, but that's what I imagine. It could be, I don't know, shell ID maybe? I'm not sure. And anyway, I had a an interesting idea for a demo, but it didn't work the way that I had hoped. I couldn't get things to crash the way that I had hoped they would sort of crumble and burn. So the the best the best demo I could come up with is um, I'll, I'll I'll launch a different terminal here. I'll do a set SID Well, actually, I'm going to do a set SID dash h for help. And yeah, dash dash wait is what I was waiting or what I was looking for. So I'm going to do a set sid dash dash wait. And then I'll do a sleep90. So that sort of holds up that terminal, which goes a little bit contrary to what you would think setSid would do. You'd think that it would create a new session and therefore not tie up your terminal. And and certainly you could do that um, with, with um, just setSid without the dash dash wait. That would send that process... To the background effectively, and give you your ter- your prompt back. In this case, I want this. I want it to take over my terminal. So this is an urxvt terminal that I've launched it in. So I'm going to go back over to my other terminal, which right now is a console uh, in KDE, and I'm going to do ps tree clatu pipe grep dash capital C for context, and then uh, we'll, we'll give do three lines of context, so dash, capital C, three, and then I'll just grep for rxvt. And this shows me oh, because I did the dash dash wait, it's still in that session. Even that demo didn't work. So I'm going to do instead just a set sid sleep 90. Then I'm going to do the ps tree command. And what this demonstrates is that I see that I have a, an urxvt terminal running bash, and that's that process. There's no sign of sleep there at all so now if i do a ps tree clat2 pipe grep c3 sleep i see that sleep is its own process it is it is branched off of nothing it is just its own self-sustaining running process now if i do a pgrep for sleep i get the pid of 23070. So I'm going to do a kill-9-23070, and that killed that process. Ps PSTree, 2 Grep, C3, sleep, returns nothing. That's not very fun to look at. You can do a setSid, dash dash, wait, sleep 90, or, or sleep, you know, 12, or, or whatever amount of time you want it to sleep for. I did 90 because I figured there would be no way that I would need all those 90 seconds. And then do a kill 9 Oh wait, I don't know what I'm killing yet. pgrep sleep 23165 so then I'll do a kill-9 23165 and in my other terminal it tells me set sid child 23165 did not exit normally no such file or directory and that's really about the extent of what I could successfully demonstrate there there's really only a, one other option which is set the controlling terminal to the current one which I didn't play around with and and I got to say in in terms of Practicality, I I don't really see setSid being that big of a deal in terms of it how it's being used as a command. You may as well just do a sleep ninety ampersand, or if it's some some ter- if it's some process that you want to continue to interact with, you can do a screen and then launch the process within screen. So in terms of using this as a way to uh, sort of divorce a process of its of its parent shell. I don't see set set. I don't see many advantages to set Now there may be some subtlety that I'm missing. I didn't see anything reported online that that took me by surprise. So I'm not I'm not really thinking that set sid is is all that useful. Okay, next one up is strings, and this is the last s. Linux package in in user what are we in user s bin or user bin or whatever or otherwise it's um, it's this is the last one within util Linux user bin is where we are so strings returns it, it finds printable strings in a file this is kind of interesting. if you've never played around with strings it, it's quite it, it's kind of cool. okay so I don't know if you've ever tried to look at a binary file you may have before, and if you don't know what a binary file is, it's just something that doesn't consist of a bunch of text. It's it's other information that the computer has to interpret in some fancy way. Text a computer can just dump into any device, right? A, te- a terminal, a serial output, whatever, a printer sometimes, a raw sort of line printer. Um, it doesn't really require any interpretation as long as it's within that ASCII text set of, of letters and numbers and characters. Binary has extra information about something. So if you if you do a less on, for instance, let's see if there's anything in my photos directory. Yes, here's one, image underscore 0140.jpg. If I do a less on that, it warns me, hey, this might be a binary file. See it anyway? I'll say yes. And there's a bunch of unprintable stuff that appears on my screen. Now that's Kind of interesting, sometimes you could scroll through that and see if you see any interesting metadata hanging out in plain text. The easier way to scrub through something like that is with strings, which filters out all the messy, binary, unprintable stuff that your terminal doesn't understand, and just shows you the stuff that your terminal does understand. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be able to understand it. I mean, it could be plain... it it could be printable characters that still have no meaning to to whatever language you speak. Certainly English, uh for me. Strings, photos, image, zero one four oh JPEG, and sure enough I get a, a whole actually I'm gonna pipe that through less. I get a whole long list here of of stuff that means nothing to me. Now Here's, at the very top, here is some inf- interesting information, though. There's EXIF, so this is EXIF data that we're about to see, and there's QCOM-AA, so I'm guessing that this is a photograph that I took with the old Firefox OS phone, because I, if I remember correctly, that had some kind of, I don't know, Qualcomm camera or something like that, I don't know, or, or Qualcomm chipset or something. It was taken in 2015, 0702 at 1944, and so on. So it's got some exif data that you can actually read as plain text. So right there, that's that's kind of interesting. Now after that there are hundreds and hundreds of lines of just of of nonsense 4 WWR XI seven H F E and so on. But you can kind of scrub through there and and see if there's anything that, that's recognizable to your to your brain as something that makes sense. And sometimes there are. For instance, if I do a string uh, of, uh, there's a, a user guide in my docs directory, and if I do oops, strings on that file, once again, it's a bunch of stuff that makes absolutely no sense to me. But I remember as I was scrolling through here, there were some lines of English. For instance, here it says, I'm going to Think it was color space, yeah, uh, bits per component eight color space, one seven two three eight. Now that doesn't actually mean anything to me personally, but I, I imagine that that could be useful in some context if you were if you were if you were analyzing, um, I don't know what color space something had been embedded with or something like that. I'm not even sure what it's referring to to be honest. Uh, we could do a strings on an og file. Here's actually that I don't have an AUG file because this, I mean, I have lots of AUG files, but um, the place that I just now looked uh, is a commercial album that I purchased from, uh, from some location, and it's an MP3. And interestingly, whoever, that's very interesting actually, so it's a commercial MP3 that I purchased, uh, did not rip this myself, so it was a digital purchase. And at the bottom of the uh, file, there's a bunch of... There's lame 3.92, lame 3.92, tag, uh, the author name, or the um, artist name, and the year. So that's kind of interesting that they apparently used lame 3.92 to rip that from their their, uh, source. You don't always see that actually in commercial releases. That's interesting. So anyway, there's a bunch of um, bunch of little uses like that for strings. You could even do it on a um, something in your user bin or, or, or in bin or you know whatever you have access to really. I'll do user bin because we just have been talking about stuff in there so I'm gonna I'm gonna do strings on user bin script. And uh, it says says that there's been Oh yeah, that is interesting. Wow, if you do, yeah, you should do that. That that I should have led with that. There's a bunch of recognizable stuff in in a, an binary executable. I think I kind of knew that deep down. I just kind of forgot because I don't really use it for that as often as I do to to look at other people's media. Really, um, yeah. There there's a bunch of recognizable things in here. There's some stuff about the the whole um, the entire help messages here. That's kind of cool. There's a list of all the different options. So yeah, uh, strings. It'll help you look into things that are otherwise unreadable and extract the readable stuff. Whether or not that's actually useful to you kind of depends on what you're looking to do, but it's, if nothing else, it's fun to do. It's an interesting way to introspect um, something that normally you can't really get much of a window into. That's it. That's the Essas from Udall Linux user Ben. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. OGCast. This has been Clatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the free node network usually in channels such as OGCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Clatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Clatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at clatu at member.fsf.org. That's clatu@member.fsf, at member.fsf, as in Free Software Foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, GNU World Order.info and SlackerMedia.info. I will see you next time.